welcome to Get Offered, the Consciousness Transforming Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We've got a very different show today. This is for all the pregnant ladies out there or those wishing to be pregnant um, or the men in their lives or, or a partner in your lives whose uh, partner is pregnant and you're like wondering WTF, what do I do now? Okay, uh, we're going to speak with a bit. Bailey Gaddis, and her book is Asking for a Pregnant Friend, 101 Answers to Questions Women Are Too Embarrassed to Ask About Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Motherhood. And folks, she delves deep, okay? We're going to even talk about having an orgasm while you're having delivery. Okay, that got my attention. So hang in there. Um, If you've got pregnant friends, know someone who's even considering pregnancy, this will answer a lot of those questions. Just invite them over to the podcast. Now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you shift your consciousness to break blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you let go of the BS that is holding you back, but you guys know I always ask that question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. A bit about me for my new listeners, Intuitive Since Birth, I'm a third-generation intuitive with over three decades of experience supporting people to break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing cutting-edge information that enables you to prosper and thrive. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I am the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I provide consultations and healings in all areas of life that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your very best life. My clients say that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say, if you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapists. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, nesmoniquechapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. My guest today, Bailey Gaddis, is the author of Asking for a Pregnant Friend and Feng Shui Mommy. She is a childbirth preparation educator, birth doula and hypnotherapist and a regular contributor to media outlets, including Working Mother, Fit Pregnancy, Pregnancy and Newborn, Cosmopolitan, Woman's Day, Disney's Babel, and more. She also volunteers for a program where she offers in-home support for parents of newborn babies, specifically single mothers and those with babies with special needs. And you can check her out online and her website is baileygaddis.com. B-A-I-L-E-Y-G-A-D-D-I-S.com. Welcome, Bailey. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. Um, Absolutely love the book. I wish I had it, you know, 50 years ago when I was having my kids, but you know Mm -hmm. what? I get to share the information along with you to ladies or in that spectrum today. What brought you to the point of writing Asking for a Pregnant Friend? Yeah, it was um, a gradual process. You know, when I was pregnant with my son eight years ago, I had all sorts of questions that I never asked because I thought they were really embarrassing. (laughs) 
I thought, you know, people, their eyes would get really wide if I actually asked it. So I just shoved them down, kind of forgot about them. Uh And then, you know, when I started teaching childbirth prep courses, when I became a doula, you know, women would pull me aside and, and whisper those same questions. And I realized, okay, I'm not the only one. These are questions a lot of women have, but we're all embarrassed to ask. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, when the idea for the the book came up and, and now I'm about to give birth to, to my second child. And it has been, congratulations! So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Just like not having all of these questions that I'm pushing down, you know, it's a much mm-hmm. more, you know, free liberated experience. So I, you know, really credit, um, that book for, you know, helping me, helping me this time around, but, um, yes. So it, it's all started when I had these questions myself. Mm-hmm. Well, folks, her son is absolutely gorgeous. If you go to her website, <laughs> BaileyGaddis.com, I thought he's so beautiful. I thought he was a girl. Oh. Okay. You're not, you're not the only one. He, and he usually has long hair. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I was, I was looking at the picture and I'm like, I, I said, I thought she said she had a boy, you know, she's so gorgeous. No, but you know, she creates beautiful children, but you know what people, it's more than just the look. Okay. She walks her talk. She believes in her belief system very strongly. And because of that, you know, the universe has blessed her with a lot of wonder in her world, as I explained um, in the introduction. So for clarity's sake, um, Bailey, explain what a birth doula is. Yeah, that's a great question. So we provide, you know, psychological and physiological support to women during the birth experience. We don't have any medical training. We don't provide medical support. So we're certainly not midwives who go Uh through so much training. Um, But yeah, we are there with the woman to answer any questions she has during pregnancy. And then as, she, as soon as she is ready for our support, when she goes into labor, we are by her side the entire time until that baby is born, you know, doing massage. In my case, you know, I do hypnotherapy with the moms, affirmations. I mean, anything that they need that's not, you know, related to their medical care, we are uh-huh. there. And yeah, so a lot of emotional support. It's a huge piece of it. Well, do you ever get pushback from the medical community about being in the room with the mom? You know, I have been lucky to always have care providers that are fairly supportive of my presence. And if anybody wasn't openly supportive, they at least weren't hostile. But I do know a lot of doulas that have experienced pushback. So I, but luckily I think it is slowly changing, you know, more research is coming out about Uh what a benefit it is to have a birth doula present. Uh Um, and you know, and I really make sure as a doula to not step on anybody's toes. I mean, I help the parents advocate for themselves. Uh You know, I, I'm not (laughs) the one telling the doctor, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, (laughs) So I, you know, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. Um, but yeah, l- luckily I've had a pretty good experience with all of the the doctors and midwives I've come into contact with. Okay, now can you be there in the room with, like, say, if the dad or the partner wants to be there, can you be the third person in the room, so to speak, or do they have to trade out? 
Yeah. So luckily, I mean, so at the beginning of COVID, you know, there were some yeah. places where the partner, the partner couldn't even be there and doulas certainly, you know, we could not be in the room. Um, you know, I think I was able to attend my first birth again um, after COVID had started back in June and okay. they were allowing doulas. So the partner, the birth companion, and then the doula could be present. Um, but typically no, no one else, at least in hospitals in California. Okay. All right. Let's get right down to it. What is an orgasmic birth? Cause neither <laughs> one of mine was orgasmic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So orgasmic birth, you know, when we are defining it in a really literal sense is when a woman has orgasms during the birth experience, she doesn't just have orgasms, you know, usually she still experiences discomfort as well, but Mm -hmm. she's able to kind of tip into that, that pleasure as well. So it's not all discomfort. Um, and you know, a lot of that, to be honest, is genetics. So a very small amount of women are able to actually orgasm during the birth experience. But I really believe that every woman is capable of having an orgasmic experience. And what I mean by that is she's able to go into it without having, you know, a lot of fear. She has, you know, a birth that is filled with, with passion and presence uh-huh. and, and plenty of moments where, again, she might not be orgasming, but she's feeling pleasure. So that's kind of two, two ways to look at it, <laughs> but oh. in the, yeah, in a literal <laughs> oh. sense, orgasm during birth. <laughs> okay. Um, Boy, I had one C-section and, you know, I thought, okay, once a C-section, always a C-section. So when I got pregnant again and about, you know, the seventh month, I went to the doctor and said, okay, so when are we going to plan the birth? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I had a C-section. I'm going to have another one. He goes, oh, no, dear, you're perfectly capable of having natural childbirth. I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And then, um, you know, we had natural childbirth with this one, but it was interesting because I was in hard labor for 21 freaking hours. Wow. I, I didn't experience any of that orgasm, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. We okay. certainly do not all, that is for sure. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I think someone like you in the room would have been able to help me get past the lows, yeah. you know, um, to kind of keep it more, the energy more even, if you will, instead of experiencing highs and lows and turning into a real bitch. But anyway, you know, we do what we got to do. Now, I want to ask a couple of questions about um, bodily processes, I guess. Uh Um, First one, I'm a fan of this, um, the housewives programs. I watch just about all of them. And on one of them, a woman recently had a baby and she's actually eating her placenta. Is that like really cool? I mean, is that helpful? Yeah, you know, that has become much more of a thing, especially, you know, in like certain communities like Los Angeles, the community that I'm in just north of LA, a lot of women do it. And, you know, the the thing with it, I mean, I certainly would never tell women 100% yes, do it or definitely don't do it because there is not a lot of research that has been done about it. Um, you know, and I have had clients that, and, and usually what women do is they will have the placenta encapsulated. So it is completely dehydrated after being steamed at a high temperature. And then it is um, 
ground down to a powder and then encapsulated in pills. So mm-hmm. some women, sure, you know, throw a raw piece of it in a smoothie and that's, you know, next, oh. next level. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if I, I'm not quite there. For it, yeah. but, um, but plenty of women do that, but, but most women um, have placenta pills. And they take those, you know, essentially until they run out after they have the baby. And anecdotally, you know, women say that, or a lot of women say that it makes a huge difference, that it helps their milk supply, that, you know, it made them experience less postpartum blues. They felt like their hormones balanced out faster. So, you know, I mean, even if it's a placebo effect, it seems that a lot of women have a really, you know, positive experience from, you know, taking the placenta pills. But what I tell women is, you know, it it can also have the opposite effect. Some women have a decrease in milk supply. It doesn't make them feel great. So I tell women, if you want to do it, you know, try it, but really tune into how you're feeling. If you start to have negative effects, stop taking those pills Uh to see if they, if it balances out. Cause of course we're all different with how we respond to that kind of thing. Okay. And the second one I want to ask that's kind of on the ooh side is cord blood banking. What is that and how does it uh, affect us? Yeah. So cord blood banking, it is a, a pretty somewhat complex thing. So So what they can do right after the baby is born is if you're going to do cord blood blanking, you get this kit from the quote unquote bank that you're going to store it at. And there's a needle and this little tube and the care provider pulls blood out of often the the umbilical cord, fills the vial, and then they send it to this bank where it is stored indefinitely. And the idea is that stem cells can be pulled from that blood to help to treat different illnesses, say like childhood leukemia. The issue is a lot of times those stem cells can't be used to support the care of that baby. It can only be used for um, like a sibling or a parent. Mm-hmm. And, and luckily there are banks where that anybody can access, you know, that you don't have to pay for. And if you needed stem cell treatment because of cancer, for example, a lot of times, you know, people can still gain access to those stem cells. So it's a, I could go on for a while with this one. It's pretty complex, but it's mm-hmm. um, the, the idea of pain for that storage is somewhat controversial because people question, you know, whether it's really worth it, but, um, but some people swear by it. So it's an interesting thing to, to look into if somebody is, yeah, intrigued by that idea. Yeah. And it's actually something I've never heard of before being an old lady. So, you know, if, um, it piques your interest to investigate. And again, a long time ago, these things weren't available to people, but they are now. Now folks in her book, asking for a pregnant friend, 101 answers to questions. Women are too embarrassed to talk about pregnancy, childbirth, and motherhood. She's actually very funny. And I read this one and this cracked me up and she was talking about bras and she calls them boob hammocks. And I was like, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. But there's a, a, not necessarily a scientific way of wearing a bra, but there's a certain way and certain bras you should wear. So explain that to our audience, please. Yeah. So, I mean, number one, this is, you know, obviously an, an individual you know, thing. I think it's really important, obviously, to be, you know, 
fitted for the right one. For the longest time, I thought I was a B cup. I got fitted and lo and behold, I was bigger than that. Um, you also want to have, you know, a really nice breathable material, especially when you're pregnant, because having itchy boobs is a thing uh-huh. and it can be really, really uncomfortable. So most women, you know, we want to get rid of the underwire when, you know, you're pregnant, especially because that can be really uncomfortable. Um, and then having a bra, you know, made out of, like organic cotton, you know, I've even seen these really great soft bras made out of bamboo, which sounds like it would be really rough, but bamboo fabric is actually really lovely and soft, mm-hmm. you know, so really focusing on your comfort, you know, when selecting a bra during pregnancy, you know, not just about something that's going to push those babies up, but something that is going to allow you to have, you know, support, but also maximum comfort. Okay. Now, you know, I want to get a little bit more serious right here at this moment. And um, once a baby is born, some women um, have postpartum depression. I'd like for you to talk about that. And a, a thing that I had actually asked my mom when I was pregnant with my second child was, mom, am I, am I going to have enough love for oh. the second child? And she looked at me like I was nuts. She never answered the question. She just looked at me <laughs> like I was nuts. So how can you... Um, Well, first of all, we can deal with postpartum depression and then the question of maybe liking one kid more and the other one less or wondering if there's enough love to go all the way around. Yeah. Yeah. So with postpartum depression, you know, a lot of times this is triggered from a few things, but primarily, you know, the, the really intense shift in hormones that women experience after having a baby. And so almost all women have what's called postpartum blues. And this is a feeling of just kind of melancholy, typically for about a week after the baby is born. And this again is caused by the really sharp shift in hormones, but most women feel, you know, a a lift in that, in that mood after about a week, but some women, it gets more intense and it can turn into depression. And of course, you know, many of us are sleep deprived. Uh There's a lot of massive changes. And so it can be so incredibly understandable to, to experience postpartum depression. And it's so common. And luckily it's something that more and more women are talking about. You know, it's not at all a sign that somebody is not a good mother or they don't care about their baby or they're not taking good enough care of themselves. It is something that can just happen. So I tell women if, you know, you're that low mood continues after a week, if it really becomes debilitating to absolutely seek support because there is great care out there now for postpartum depression. A lot of women just need, you know, say talk therapy. Some women need medication. There's, you know, nothing wrong with that. Whatever gets you through, you know, that, um, that, that tricky phase. So yes, definitely seek support. And then with liking one child more than the other, I I truly believe that, you know, we have plenty of love for all of our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I do my, cause my eight-year-old has been asking pretty much daily for the last nine months, are you still going to love me when the new baby comes? And so we've been talking about this a lot. Uh-huh. And what I have been telling him is like, yeah, no, I mean, we have unlimited supplies of love within us. And, you know, our love is just going to grow. And I really believe that, you know, I don't believe in like loving one child more than the other. I really think we get plenty of love to go around in regards Mm -hmm. to liking (laughs) (laughs) one child more than the other. I think there is something to this and there's actually been a lot of research about it. And really what this is, is just 
acknowledging that, you know, depending on the phase that we're in at life and the phase that our children are in, one child is probably going to be more triggering at certain times than another. You know, for example, you might have this sweet little baby who just sleeps all the time. They're not very fussy. And then say you have a four-year-old who is very demanding, knows how to push your buttons, you know, for a while, you're probably (laughs) going to like the baby a little bit more and prefer to spend time with them because it's just easier, right? Uh But then that can absolutely shift. You know, the next year, the dynamics can change. So I think we're always in different seasons with our children. And the most important thing, of course, is not to really like let it show just because we might be triggered right by the four-year-old. It doesn't mean we're going to start treating them differently or, you know, let them know, I actually don't like you as much as (laughs) I used to, you know, it's our job as parents to, you know, process that on our own and to not put that on the kid who's just, you know, going through the phase they're going through. Um, But for the parents to know that there's nothing wrong with them. If you do think every now and then, oh gosh, I think I actually like this, this kid more than the other one. (laughs) You know, you're not some cruel, horrible person. You're just Mm -hmm. being more triggered by, by one kid than the other. Yeah. I always told my kids some, you know, I always love you no matter what. I always love you. Sometimes I don't like you. Just sometimes you don't like mommy, (laughs) but hopefully you love her. And they kind of got it, you know, and and rolled with the flow. Now, a big thing these days is reveal parties. I mean, you know, in fact, in Southern California, there was a reveal party that started a massive fire. Um, Our, women sometimes very disappointed about the sex of their child once they find out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I did not know this was even a thing until I, you know, had the 20 week ultrasound with my son, you know, for 20 weeks, my husband and I, we were convinced that we were going to have a girl. And then we found out that he was a boy. And I had a few days where I felt really disappointed because I had just completely convinced myself that I was going to have this certain experience with a girl and it kind of shattered those expectations. And I felt, of course, you know, really guilty after the initial shock because I thought, well, I have a healthy baby. I should just be grateful for that. Um, But then since I've realized how common it is, you know, for women and partners, you know, to have one sex that they are hoping for, you know, maybe you already have two boys and you really want a girl or you mm-hmm. only want girls. I mean, who who knows? But most people do have a preference, even if they don't <laughs> admit it. And, mm-hmm. and obviously it's a 50, 50 chance, right? You know, if you're going to have a boy or a girl. And so I tell women, you know, if you're hoping for one sex more than the other and say you want a girl and lo and behold, you're going to have a boy, number one, let yourself feel whatever you feel about that, Uh you know, because there's no point in suppressing those emotions and denying them. So go through that, that grieving process, which usually, I mean, a day or two is all we need. And then we start to get used to the idea of, you know, the baby that is coming to us. Um, And with that said, then start to really tune into the truth that again, the baby you are meant to have is the baby that has come to you, Uh you know, and, and to know that of course you are going to love that baby the exact same 
regardless of, you know, if they are a boy or a girl. And, and as we've been seeing, you know, with gender, we don't even know the gender they'll identify with, you know, maybe exactly have, <laughs> have a, a baby with a penis, but he ends up identifying as female. You know, we, we exactly. don't know the gender just because we know the sex doesn't mean that, you know, that, that will be their gender. And, and really with the exception of teaching a girl about her period, uh-huh. I mean, there's really no experience you can't have with a boy that you can have with a girl and vice versa. You know, uh-huh. you just, you don't know who this unique little person will be. So allow yourself to grieve, but then know you're getting the baby you're meant to have. Yeah. And it's, you know, as long as it's healthy and yeah. you can be happy and allow the baby to be happy, happy, guess what folks, that's half the battle right then and there. Now um, I didn't have pets in the house when my kids were born, but many of my friends did. And they talked about how the pet was like jealous of the baby. So talk to us about that. Can the pet really be jealous or are, are we just like projecting under the poor pet that they're feeling jealous because they want more attention? Oh yeah, no. I mean, I have seen this firsthand, you know, like in dog dogs especially really show it. You know, cats, they're they're much more aloof as always. But but dogs, you know, these sweet dogs wear their hearts on their sleeves. And I have seen, you know, dogs that used to be like really jubilant and had lots of energy become, you know, they would get real slow and, and almost seem depressed after the baby comes home. And, and of course this becomes an issue if the, if the animal is actually aggressive towards the baby, right. Which is Uh why one of the main reasons I included this question in the book. So parents can navigate, is this still, you know, a safe situation for the baby? And then how can I support my pet through this as well? Because yeah, you know, pets are so sensitive to the energy in the house and obviously to the amount of attention they get. Mm -hmm. And, you know, while say like for me having a, an eight-year-old son, you know, obviously I'm going to be really conscientious of giving him lots of attention and love. But if it was just like a dog, (laughs) I -hmm. probably, to be honest, would not put as much thought into it, you know, and so Mm -hmm. it can be really normal for the pets to not, certainly not be neglected, but to really have a sharp drop in the amount of attention they get, which is understandable Mm -hmm. because when there is a new baby in the house, that baby needs a lot of attention. Um, So yeah, pets can be deeply affected by it, but there are so many things that pet owners can do to, to help to ease the, the pet into that transition before the baby is even born. And then certainly things that can be done after the baby is born to help the pet adjust. And most pets do most pets adjust Uh and they end up loving that baby, maybe even more than the, (laughs) than the (laughs) adults, you know, and they form, they can form their own connection and it can end up being a really beautiful thing, but you Usually it takes um, work on the part of the pet owners. Okay. Now, you know, when we get pregnant, we're always happy. Well, most of us are always happy. <laughs> but what happens, on, and take this from two points. Number one, you're, you're pregnant and you don't want the baby with all the attention on abortion right now. And then you yourself went through the horrible experience or maybe learning experience in your case of having a miscarriage. So address those two points. Yeah, yeah. So... It can be obviously a very challenging, tricky experience. Like number one, of course, if you get pregnant and it doesn't feel like the right time in Uh your life, you know, obviously, and there's a lot of soul searching to be done there. And that's obviously a very, you know, 
individual choice and something that should not just be brushed off, something to deeply look into. And then of course, you know, miscarriage is something that I, I know deeply. Um, yeah, before we became pregnant with this baby, my husband and I, so we tried about, it took us about two years, um, Uh to get pregnant with this, with this baby. And we miscarried about a year after we started trying and, you know, I've supported a lot of women through pregnancy loss, but I had no idea Uh until I went through it myself, the level of, pain, the, the grief, the, the jealousy towards Mm -hmm. other women that, you know, we're having a healthy pregnancy. Um, and, and I had an early miscarriage, but, um, which I, I naively thought before, well, if it's an early miscarriage, surely I wouldn't be as sad, but that was not true. It's still, Mm -hmm. um, cut me incredibly deep, but physically it only took a couple weeks to heal. I had to take medication to to clear the uterus. My body never realized that, um, the pregnancy was not developing, which was hard. I, so I kept having pregnancy symptoms, even after knowing that, you know, the baby was not, was not developing. Mm -hmm. Um, but emotionally, um, it probably took three to four months before I could talk about the the miscarriage or even think about it without Mm -hmm. just breaking down in tears, without having the emotions just crush me, you know? And so I really became dedicated since then with number one, talking about it, because I think that that was the biggest um, source of support that I had during the miscarriage was hearing Mm -hmm. from other women who also experienced it, because even though we know the statistics of how often it happens, I still felt like, and many women do like, I'm the only one, everybody else is having a healthy pregnancy. I'm the only one that can't have this baby. And you know, that is certainly not true. So I think it's so important when women feel comfortable with it, of course, to, to share, Mm -hmm. um, with with safe people that they feel safe with. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I, yeah, really just dove into wanting to make sure that, this was addressed in the book. I created a course about it just because it's um, hmm. an issue that we don't, we don't talk about enough. And yeah. I was seeking support of like, how, how do I navigate this grief? And I really couldn't find anything. So that's become a huge um, mission for me is supporting women through, through pregnancy loss. Okay. Well, folks, if you know anyone who's gone through that process and they need uh, help, have them contact Bailey and Bailey, you know, thank you for sharing and talking about it. I still intuitively feel the pain. And um, so thank you for being willing to go there and um, address this. Um, Now, when we go to your website, BaileyGaddis.com, what are we going to find there? Besides a picture of you and your beautiful son and your gorgeous <laughs> husband. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, all sorts of stuff. So there are links um, on my website to buy the books. You can also get access to the online courses. I have uh, hundreds of YouTube videos about, you know, all things pregnancy, childbirth, early motherhood, meditation recordings, all of the ways to contact me via email or social media. So it's really like a one-stop shop for, for connecting with me and all of my offerings. Okay. And what do you feel is the most important thing that you want expected mothers to know? What's that pearl of wisdom you'd love to share with them today? Hmm. 
two things came to mind. One is definitely to trust your intuition because there's a lot of us quote unquote experts out there, but ultimately moms, moms know the best, you know, the most about your body and your baby, and you can absolutely trust yourself. And to also realize that nothing that you like think about this journey or, you know, the questions that you have, none of it makes you like bad or wrong. This is a really complex, wild journey. And it's really important to be gentle with yourself, give yourself a lot of grace mm-hmm. and know that truly like you are doing the best you can, even if it doesn't always feel that way. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Folks, we've been speaking with Bailey Gaddis and the book is Asking for a Pregnant Friend, 101 Answers to Questions Women Are Too Embarrassed to Ask About Pregnancy, Childbirth, and Motherhood. It's available everywhere. I think you can even get it from her site. You can also check out her other book, um, Feng Shui Mommy, which we should talk about that one too, because that one sounds really, really cool. But you know, if you have a friend that's going through this process, or you're even considering going through this process, this is an excellent resource to have. Okay, Um, you know, women have many choices today, and it's all about making your own individual choices without judgment from others or taking on the judgments that others uh, project your way. So do consider going out and getting, asking for a pregnant friend. Bailey, it's been great having you on. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. And to the audience, thank you. You know, I always appreciate your time and attention. And remember, the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of asking questions about pregnancy, childhood, and motherhood. But the blessings light up to all. Agape. Agape.